Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9. I'm Macca and my co-host is Joe Ball. And we've got with us in the studio award-winning journalist, author, mental health ambassador, and I would say an absolutely undeniably active ally to our LGBTIQA plus community. We have Jill Stark. Welcome. What a beautiful introduction. Thanks, John. Well, you've earned it. That's oh, the thing thanks. with allies, isn't it? Is that it's um uh, you know it's not sort of self described. It's it's earned, um, and you have certainly earned that. So you are author of one of my favourite books, which is Happy Never After, which we're not here to talk about today. <laughs> but an equally excellent book is your book High Sobriety, which you relaunched recently. Yes. And people might think it's a new book, but it's not a new book. I, I'm calling it a new-ish book. New-ish is a good way to describe it. Can you, yeah. can you tell the listeners who aren't familiar with High Sobriety what the book is? Yeah, sure. So High Sobriety was my first book. Um, it came out in 2013. I was the binge-drinking health reporter for the Age newspaper. During the week, I would write about Australia's booze-soaked culture, and at the weekends, I'd write myself off. And there was a real disconnect between the way I was living and what I was writing about. Um, And, yeah, I woke up... um, on New Year's Day 2011 with the worst hangover I'd ever had. that felt like it was going to kill me. And that's when I decided to take uh, three months off the booze, which in- inevitably led to 12 months off drinking um, and the book that is High Sobriety that came out in 2013. Um, the newish book is Higher Sobriety. So the first book is called High Sobriety, My Year Without Booze. <laughs> the 10-year anniversary edition is Higher Sobriety, My Years Without Booze. And there's... Um, three extra chapters that kind of chart what happened in the 10 years since that book first came out for me and for the wider drinking culture. And a lot has changed in that time. Of course, COVID being a huge one. Do you talk about COVID in the book? Yeah, I do talk about COVID because, I mean, what what happened is basically at the end of the uh, first book, I went back to drinking. I never planned to stop forever. I kind of just thought I'd be a moderate and mindful drinker and I was for a while, but then old habits crept back in and I decided to give booze the flick again in June 2019. So I'm nearly four years into my second stint of sobriety. So when COVID hit, I was only nine months sober at that point, Mm. uh, the second time. And I did have a moment of thinking, well, I should just get on it, you know, <laughs> like if you can't have a drink in a in the middle of the apocalypse, mm. then when can you? But And also it was so stressful. We all had our unique challenges through that time. My family are all overseas. My parents are in Scotland. My brother's in Singapore. And I just thought, am I ever going to see them again? The borders were shut for so long. It was very stressful. Um, but I decided that if, um, if alcohol was the answer, then I was asking the wrong question. Um, and I decided that you know, to cope with the stress of lockdown and this extraordinary period in history, like sobriety was going to be my best tool Mm. in that. And it really helped. And I'm not sure I would have got through six lockdowns in Melbourne had I still been drinking. But yeah, I know a lot of people emerged from that period with sort of really difficult um, conversations to have with themselves and with family about the way they were drinking. Because I think a lot of us think we're just social drinkers, but then when all your social outlets are taken away and you realise, actually, no, I just want to drink even when I'm just watching Netflix. So um, I think the pandemic was interesting because it, it, it 
change people's drinking habit, habits in as much as we know that people drank more, but I think it also turbo boosted the sober curious movement. It, mm. it, it led a lot of people to re-examine their mm. relationship with alcohol and cut back and in some cases quit altogether. I think it was interesting during COVID, Jill, that one of the things you're allowed to do was go and buy booze. It was an essential service. It was an essential yeah. service. and but, but I'm also interested in, you know, if I can go back a little bit in terms of, you know, you were, you know, when you were, you were writing and, you know, involved in the boozy culture and a lot of these, you know, at functions and colleagues and stuff, and, you know, you, you acknowledge yourself that you were drinking too much. Did anyone ever call you out on that? Or did they just go, oh, look, she's, she's all right, you know? Well, that's the thing, Maka. Like, I, I just sort of slipped seamlessly into the social norm because everybody around me was drinking in the same right. way as a journalist, you know, as, a, yeah. as someone who grew up in Scotland, moving to Australia, sort of had this triple whammy of of reasons to drink or the reasons that we tell ourselves that we, we drink in the way that we do. I, I didn't – I wasn't, you know, an alcoholic. I didn't go into rehab. I was a sort of bog-standard weekend binge drinker and it was just the consequences for me were starting to become too much to ignore so no no one was saying oh, i think you've got a problem because mm. quite honestly a lot of people were drinking in mm. the same way and if anything when i quit it led to the first time around not so much this time but it led to a, quite a few people um having quite strong reactions to my sobriety people were quite defensive i was told i was un-australian that i was a wowser yeah. that i was you know boring or that i was in some cases people said that i was judging them and i i just couldn't i i knew that sobriety was going to be a challenge for me i hadn't expected it to be challenging for mm. other people and i think what happens is if you're if you're the party girl, as I was, first on the dance floor, last to leave the party, the drunkest person in the room, when you when you remove yourself from that, someone else has to take over that yeah. title. And it, I think one girl in particular, there's friends that are no longer friends of mine because I realized they were only drinking buddies. And once you take alcohol out of the equation, the, the, the relationship's mm. kind of disintegrated. And, and one girl said to me that, you know, you're judging us. And I said, I don't understand how you would come to that conclusion. And she said, well, because we drink in the same way that you used to drink and now you're not doing that. So you're saying what we're doing is bad. And I'm saying, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the consequences for me from a mental health perspective and from all sorts of other uh, other aspects were becoming um, problematic for me. If you drink in that way and you don't have those consequences, then that's entirely your business. Yeah. And I would never tell someone, just I'm not evangelical about sobriety, trying to convert anyone. It's my experience is my experience. But I think it's also, it's really important to provide that alternative, I think, because I think people are saying you're being evangelical, but I would say actually there's a big promotion of alcohol, of course. I mean, what did Dan Andrews say when Get the, on lockdown, the, yeah, the lockdowns were over? Actually, there's this real normalisation and... But within the normalisation, it is, it is a promotion. And I wanted to, you know, have you on the show today, particularly because we're right in the middle of party season mm. with Midsummer and going then to World Pride and Mardi Gras and there's a range of festivals all around the country. And, of course, it's a big issue in the LGBTIQA plus community. A lot of our community iconic places to hang out historically and even today are pubs. Yep. Um, and a lot of the good times are framed around drinking alcohol. And, you know, th there aren't mm. a lot of sober options. And, of course, in some of the studies, or not of course, but people need to know that in the studies we are overrepresented in alcohol and other drug use. Um, and, uh, and that's something we've got to tackle in our community because part of tackling, you know, and I'm really interested in mental health, part of tackling our mental health issues is we have to look at the drivers. And for some people, AOD is a driver of that. So this brings me to your question, which I think um, as a follower, and you know, uh, you've, you've got a very live social media um, and 
you know, a big question at this time is how do we have fun without booze? And I think you're an ambassador for that point. Like, how do we have fun without booze? Well, I mean, if anyone saw my Instagram on the day that I was at uh, the the Pride Day at the tennis, dancing to Vanessa Amorossi completely sober, they would know that (laughs) you can have fun (laughs) without getting on it. I I mean, I think you're right. Like, the, the reasons I think that there are... The, the issues in your community is because we often drink to numb pain and mm. we know that there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of discrimination and, and alcohol and drugs are used as a coping method for a lot of people. I know that a friend of mine who's a drag queen has said that um, the the drag queen community, because it's a nighttime economy, they often get paid in alcohol and, and it's yeah. there's a real mm. challenge there mm. to to sort of opt out of that when, when you're basically working in pubs and nightclubs. Um, I mean, I noticed that at Carnival, uh, Dan Murphy's had a non-alcoholic bar Mm. there. Now, I have mixed feelings about Dan Murphy's getting into the non-alcoholic space because as I write about in the new chapters and in the original book, this industry is not known for its social responsibility and it has done all sorts of terrible things like go to war with Aboriginal communities to get bottle shops put into dry areas where the elders are saying this is going to cause profound harm. So them moving into the non-alcoholic space, I'm a bit cynical about that, but anything that will normalise um, moderation or, you know, being able to go to an event like Carnival and, and be and, a, and, yeah. and be able to have an option on a hot day that is the same as your friends, but it's sort of without all the drama that alcohol brings, I think that's how you change the culture is giving people options. And I noticed that at um, the Pride Day last year, the first one in Melbourne here, uh, Heaps Normal, which is a, a beer company, they had a stall there. Like, I think you're going to see that more often. And, and that's what I try to talk about on my social media is not like you must all be sober. It's just like you can have a rich, rich and fulfilling life without alcohol. It doesn't have to be dull and friendless as we were taught. And, th- you know, that's a real shift from 10 years ago when this fir- this book first came out. It really, really was quite a lonely existence whereas now there's this entire sober curious movement largely being led by young people which yeah. again i look at in in the chapters of the book and i think that's that's really interesting and it's, it's interesting you mentioned joe they get on the beers narrative that um the premier kind of pushed through the i mean it wasn't really his fault somebody one of the journalists asked when can we get on the beers and then it became mm, like they yeah. turned it into like a mashup like mm. song and and everything but for me that was the one point during that whole period where i felt quite alienated and I felt like it was quite difficult to not drink because it felt like we'd gone through this collective trauma as a state um, and the way that we were being told like life would return to normal was by drinking yeah. and, and you saw that not just in Melbourne across the country premiers going into pubs and sinking a beer to to, sig- we're, to signify we're, we're, we're yeah, open we're, again, we're open you know, again. and we're having a beer at 10 o'clock in the morning and I, and I get that I understand why that happened but I think it does for those of us who aren't drinking I was like well how do I take part in in that Mm. and so I think that the non-alcoholic drink space is helping with that but as I always say with these drinks um there's a real kind of tension within sober circles about those drinks for me I find them really helpful and I I really enjoy having a cold beer and a hot day but for some people who have a history of significant dependence drinks that smell and look and taste like alcohol can be quite triggering so you have to be careful with with them but yeah for me they've Mm. been a great substitute we're nearly out of time Jill but I wanted to ask what is the biggest challenge for you? Uh, is it in those social drinking environments or is it when you're at home alone and Netflix? Which is the biggest challenge? I never think about drinking at home alone, to be okay. honest. Um, 
yeah, I, I think sometimes there's there's a certain process of grieving that goes into quitting alcohol and who are you without that sort of identity of this party girl. So you, you kind of go through that process. Occasionally I'll think, oh, it would be nice to have a drink. Maybe will I ever get drunk again? And then I do what they say, you know, I... Um, play the tape forward and <laughs> I think yeah. where did that drink take me mm. well it, invariably it took me to three drinks and four drinks and five drinks and blowing up my friendships and waking up with terrible anxiety you know that that mm. hangover anxiety that just feels absolutely dreadful so no I, I mostly I'd say like 85% of the time I don't even think about it and then okay. the 15% of the time it's a fleeting moment and it passes and then I remember oh yeah I get to wake up tomorrow and and feel feel great and not feel all the regret and shame that I did of like yeah. going out and like one of the worst nights I ever had was at, after Pride March when I <laughs> went out with my good friend Jason Ball and stayed stayed out till I don't know God knows when and woke up the next day so like I don't miss those hangovers and I can still have fun yeah. without all the alcohol. Cool and I think this is this is the point we need to end on but I think I, I love that you've sort of talked about reframing it. And, of course, I want people to know that Thorn Harbour Health runs a range yes. of alcohol and other drug services, including a program for um, women in our community, which is called Rethink the Drink, uh, because that is the highest growing number in the LGBTIQA plus community is queer women who are who are drinking um, and drinking to... To excess. Mm. Um, so not just drinking, but drinking to excess. So if you did want to find out more that are programs targeted for our community, you could look at Thorn Harbour Health, um, AIDS, uh, ACON in New South Wales also runs programs. But thank you so much. I recommend, yeah. highly recommend your book. And Maka wants to say one last thing. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, certainly many years ago, I drank a lot. And, yeah, those hangovers are, but it was also like, you know, um, why am I having conversations when the person that's having the conversations is a different person to when they're sober? Mm. And, you know, so, and I was thinking about this this morning, and the last time I had a drink was 10 days ago. I will possibly have a drink tomorrow, mm. but I may not have a drink for another week. And this is as opposed to, you know, in my younger years where it was, yeah. So I admire that, you know, you've given up the Terps. <laughs> I think that's uh, it's very courageous and, it, and it's a great health initiative So and, and for writing the book too. Thanks, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. It's and a if, pleasure. And if people want to get the book, they can get it at all good bookstores, I'm all assuming. Good bookstores. And are you going to have, a, oh my, what is the word, a spoken book? An audiobook is, audiobook. yes, the, the audiobook is available. I narrated it. I wasn't allowed to narrate the first time around because back then they said that Australian audiences couldn't deal with accents, which is <laughs> funny because half of the country was born overseas. But this time I was able to narrate it so you can get it on Audible or wherever you get your audiobooks. Great. You can listen to me in your ears telling you about my drunken escapades. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Th Jill. Thank you, Jill. You are on Sunday Magazine Joy 94.9. Macker and Joe Ball, stay with us. There's more. This podcast was produced Produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.